Hi everyone, I'm David Green, and I'm back and re-energized from my summer break. Welcome to the first episode of Series 3 of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. We're certainly kicking off Series 3 with a bang, as no one has had a bigger impact and influence on the HR function than my guest on the show today, Dave Ulrich. Dave is a renowned university professor, author, speaker, coach, and management consultant. He is a professor of business at the Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan and co-founder of the RBL Group. With his colleagues, he has written over 30 books that have shaped the HR profession, defined organizations as capabilities, and shown the impact of leadership on customers and investors. I had the pleasure of meeting up with Dave recently in New York, where I attended a session that he was running with members of the RBL Institute on building an organizational guidance system for business-based around people data. We caught up afterwards for what was a lively and absorbing discussion on the role of the HR business partner in the digital age. In our conversation, Dave and I delve into a multitude of topics, including how HR can increase its impact to leaders, organizations, and workers. We talk about the qualities that a great chief HR officer has. We actually even talk a little bit about some of the criticism of his infamous HR business partner model and how the model has evolved over time. We talk about four phases of digital HR, efficiency, innovation, information, and connection. We talk about the impact that technology and the future of work is having on strategic workforce planning. And we also delve into some of the surprising and perhaps worrying findings Dave's research has unearthed on how companies are using people analytics. Finally, we also talk about what Dave calls his new moonshot, an organizational guidance system that could herald the dawn of next generation HR and increase the business impact of the function by several, several multiples. And then lastly, we look into the crystal ball as we do with all our guests and look at what the role of HR will be in 2025. This episode is a must listen for HR professionals looking to increase their business impact as well as business leaders looking to get more out of their HR teams. Before we get started, a brief word from our sponsor for Series 3 of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. Support for this series is brought to you by Pymetrics. Pymetrics is a future of work platform using data-driven behavioral insights and audited artificial intelligence to help companies better understand their workforce as well as make fairer and more predictive people decisions. Pymetrics serves as a matching layer in the job application process with the ability to assess candidate fit for any role within your company and the greater Pymetrics job marketplace through one single streamlined platform. The Pymetrics platform offers video interviewing and gamified assessments for collecting behavioral data like cognitive and emotional trait profiles as well as numerical and logical reasoning. Candidates are matched to roles based on how they fit each role's success profile, which Pymetric builds off of top performers. To learn more, visit Pymetrics.com. Welcome to a very special edition of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. We're live in New York, and I'm delighted to be joined by Dave Ulrich, the father of modern HR. Welcome to the show. It uh, is such a delight to work with you. Thank you. And when you say, welcome to New York, that's Saturday Night Live. Dave, if you'd like to say a few brief words to introduce yourself and, and let listeners know what you're up to now, because I don't think you need much of an introduction. I'm uh, The things that matter most is I'm a grandfather of 10, a uh, father of three, a uh, husband of one wife, and, um, and professionally, I'm still a professor at the University of Michigan, 
and trying to do a little bit of writing and continued thinking. When I look at Harvard Business Review, it seems that 80% of the articles are now really about HR or, or very closely related to it. It seems that HR finally has this seat at the table that everyone has been talking about. I'd be really interested to hear, what's your view of HR? What do you think the purpose of HR actually is? You know, it's really interesting. I, uh, I have the luxury of doing conferences. Not as many as you, obviously, but I have the luxury <laughs> well, of doing conferences. <laughs> and I often start with a question with business leaders or HR leaders. What's the most important or best thing HR can give an employee? It's an interesting question because it triggers a dialogue. And, and the answers are usually a sense of purpose, a sense of belonging, opportunities learned, compensation, teamwork. And my answer is you've missed it. The most important thing HR can give an employee is a company that wins in the marketplace. Yeah. And so when you say, where is HR headed? I think one of the evolutions is from inside the firm with our customer being our employee and the stakeholders inside to outside the firm. That what we do in HR is not because of it is not what goes on inside. It's how we add value to customers, to investors, to communities. And my sense is business leaders are beginning to sense that, that this is not HR yesterday. This is HR today that creates real value for the business, for the investor. And, and you see that showing up for the customer, for the community. And when HR is about outside the business, we're going to get much more visibility. And if we look at HR, and we're probably generalizing a little bit now, where is it today against that, that vision that you've painted? Um, that's a great question. And you visit a lot of companies, and I visit a lot of companies. And my hope is HR is never caught up to the vision we have, because there always should be an aspiration that exceeds our capability. And if our aspiration matches our capability, we're not moving forward. So my hope is there's always a set of aspirations that continue to push us forward. Um, I see some HR organizations, and you work with them, they use your wisdom, and that may be why they're there, who are doing incredible things. And you hate to start mentioning them because next year they may not, but, <laughs> but they're doing incredible things. Some are terrible. Um, there was an article a number of years ago, Why I Hate HR. And, um, and I was interviewed about that. And I said, if you want to find some bad HR people, I can help you. <laughs> if you want to find bad camera people, I can help you. If you want to find bad finance, marketing, uh, manufacturing, there's always bad. But I think in general, HR is getting better. And if we want to find good, we can find it quickly. And do you agree that actually HR is probably more important than it's ever been, given all the change that's going on yeah. at the moment? Yeah, I mean, you say, what does a business need to do to win in the marketplace? We need money. Well, you know, you can find money today. In a global world, capital is transient. It goes across global boundaries. We need a strategy, whether it's blue, pink, purple, or, or green ocean. We've got to figure out where we're going to compete and how we're going to play. Yeah. To be honest, that's not impossible to create. We need operating systems. That's the technology, the system, supply chain, manufacturing. We got it. What's the differentiator? It's organization. It's people. It's talent. And that's why I think HR is moving into a more prominent position. Not because HR people are more, more intelligent, smarter, but the business is requiring that in the world that we live in. So that probably leads on to the skills. So we did some interesting research at My HR Future this year. And we actually asked HR professionals, what are the skills that you want to learn moving forward? And they, they told us the things that we kind of expected around people analytics, strategic workforce planning. And we're going to talk about that later because I know you've got a take on strategic workforce planning as well. Uh, design thinking, digital, 
But then softer skills such as consulting and influencing and stakeholder management, which kind of lends itself to the, that business impact that, that you've been mm -hmm. talking about. Now, I know you've done a lot of research uh, over a number of years around the skills that HR people need. What are you finding out there? What, you know, yeah. it's, and it's always interesting, and this is a point of view that I started with. Our point of view, it's not about the skills, whatever those skills are, digital analytics, um, information processing, managing change. It's will those skills drive outcomes that matter? Yeah. And so we think the bigger issue is to say, what are the outcomes HR should be co-creating around personal reputation? So you're seen as legitimate. You get to the table, whatever that metaphor is, around building customer and investor confidence in the company, around business results. And so what we're finding is it's not just about the skill set you've got. It's how those skills will drive outcomes that make a difference in what matters. Um, we have found, for example, right now, if I want to be seen as personally effective as an HR professional, zero to 100, how good is David? 99. Well, why? It's credible activist. It's not, we used to call it trusted advisor, but it's credible. I enjoy working with you. I trust you. And you have a point of view. You're willing to push me. You're willing to challenge me. That's an interesting skill set that drives an outcome. Once you get invited to the business discussion, then we call it strategic positioner. It's not knowing the business. That's kind of a baseline. I can I know finance, marketing. How do I take that knowledge and help me win in the marketplace with mm -hmm. customers, with investors? How do I take my business knowledge and help me anticipate what's next? That's a strategic positioner. But the one that drives business results the most is Paradox Navigator, which is a really interesting idea because it says, what do you need to know and do in HR so that the business is more successful? And the, and the outcome of our research was navigate paradox, which means manage tension. Tension is a good thing. We should agree to disagree. Uh, we should have tension without contention. Uh, we should disagree without being disagreeable, whatever metaphor you want. Good HR folks engage in that dialogue, and they create teams that engage in the dialogue so that they respond better to a new world. And that's what we found drives. Now, in the future, um, and this is way too long of an answer, and I apologize, uh, but it's fine, something I feel passionate about. Um, one of the things we found is what drives results. And if results, we want to create a company that wins in the marketplace. Is it talent or is it people? Uh, that's people, talent, or is it systems? Yeah. And one of the things we found is that what wins in the marketplace more is not the individual talent, but the organizational systems. So we think HR people need to be increasingly competent at building the systems or the culture, or the capabilities, not just the workforce, but the workplace, not just the people, but the process. So it's, it's managing those systems that we're going to start exploring this year. How do you build that organization as a system that helps mm -hmm. us succeed in the marketplace? And I think you've said on a number of occasions that HR isn't about HR, it's about the business. Yeah. Yeah, I think that really lends itself. And that's a critical one. So in your world, what set of skills do you see HR people requiring? What's, what's missing for them? Well, I think we, we, we're always asking around analytics. You know, what's the first thing I should focus on? And I say, well, focus on the business challenges. You know, nice. You know, it doesn't need to be the most sophisticated analytics in the world. It's just as long as it's something that's actually important to the business. Okay. So where do you find an understanding of the business challenge? Where do you, where if I'm an HR person, where do I find that? Well, speaking to people in the business is probably Super. a good start. You know, um, actually, you know, meet with the, the business stakeholders, the people running the business, ask them what their challenges are, and then 
actually start to think what the people the people elements of that are. The, the one piece I might add to that, and I yeah. agree. I mean, where does HR start? It starts with business leaders, the relationship, the understanding. We we often saw in the HR field that strategy was kind of the mirror. Here's the strategy the business leaders have. Build your HR. I'd encourage you to also go meet with some customers. Yeah, yeah. Go meet with some investors. And a lot of HR folks, oh, I can't meet with a customer. Well, go meet with your key customers. Yeah. What? Because business is about winning in the marketplace. Customer, what are you buying for? Who are you looking at other than us? Why did you pick us? Why did you pick them? What is it we could give you? Is it finance? No, your prices are the same. Is it product quality? Mm, your prices are the same. What is it we give you? Well, you give us service. You give us trust. You give us relationships. How do we then build an internal organization to meet your customer needs? And so one of the things when you say, where is HR headed? I hope it's not just headed inside the firm, which I totally agree with. Go meet with your business leaders because you contract with them, you partner with them, you ally with them. But go beyond them. Mm. Get with the customer. Become a customer. Somebody once said, you know, if you're going to do a job in, a, in HR, you ought to be a customer of the company and find out how you're treated, and find out how other customers are treated, then bring that knowledge into your business conversation. Yeah, yeah, I think that's... It, yeah, and, then, and we probably don't do enough of that in HR, to be honest. I, I don't think we do. Um, uh, one company that, that did some of that was Harley-Davidson, motorcycle company. They decided, with some coaching, all of their HR people needed to attend one or two rallies a year. So the rallies are imagine Harley people, the you know, the, the 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 stereotype. Along comes the head of compensation for Harley riding a motorcycle and she shows up at the rally. They don't care she's in HR, she's from Harley. Yeah. And so they're yeah. telling her, Joey, my manifold doesn't work well, this doesn't work well. She takes notes, she's with the customers, she comes back as the head of comp and she calls the 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 manifold folks and says, Look, I'm hearing from customers, we gotta be doing this better. I think that's cool because now when she gets into compensation, the standards, the criteria, she envisions that customer riding that bike saying, I need this to be better. And she builds a comp system against that set of criteria. So some of the work that you're probably best known for is the human resource business partner model that you was part of your human resource champions book back in 1997. I think it's fair to say it's had quite an impact and, made, and, and, and actually changed HR. Now, some of the critics of the model say that it's not relevant to today's business world. What's your response to that? If I were sitting with that critic, I'd say, pull out your cell phone. That cell phone is not 1997. It certainly is. What was your cell phone in 1997? You had a flip phone. Oh, yeah, it was big and it had a stem. And if you showed up today with the big thing and the stem or the flip phone, they'd go, what are you doing? Well, you know, that's change. It was great for its time. That model was appropriate for its time. Time has changed. Yeah. My phone is different. My TV is different. The uh, the leading technology of the day was uh, Sony Game Boy or something that had 128K. Well, with 128K, your son couldn't play his video game today. He would <laughs> Pac-Man. You remember Pac-Man? I, I do mean, remember Pac-Man. We're yeah. gone. And so when people say that, I think you're missing the whole point. HR is evolving, yeah. and we're continuing to evolve. Now, some of the principles are the same. I mean... You still got to help business win, and we talked about that. Yeah, yeah. But the evolution of that is tremendous. Um, back then, we talked about the four roles. And by the way, I don't get asked this very often, but when I do, today it's not about four roles. It's about principles that will help HR deliver victory in the marketplace. Yeah. And that's a big shift that we've seen, which I think is healthy. 
well, I wanted to give you the, the opportunity to respond. And actually, you know, you, you've been filming a course with us today, actually, on a, the HR Business Partner 2.0 model. So we're not going to go into a huge amount of detail now because obviously we've just recorded that course. But if, if, if you were to give the highlights of the, of the 2.0 model uh, and, and encourage people to maybe actually take the course, what would you say? My sense is there's four buckets of highlights. One is some assumptions about HR. And we yep. just talked about one. Your assumption was I go visit the business leaders. My assumption is I go visit customers. Yep. Yep. So the assumption is outside in. The assumption is the biggest thing or best thing HR gives a company is not commitment of employees, meaning purpose, belonging. It's winning in the marketplace. The stakeholders of HR, this is the assumptions, are not just the employees, they're the customers, the investors. And we got to broaden our view. The second bucket of stuff is what do we uniquely deliver? In the HR field, and you've been around it, it's people, talent. And so we do people analytics. We do talent analytics. We deliver the war for talent. We win the war. I think we got to broaden that. It's not just about talent. It's about organization. Yeah. And our research shows that the organ, you know, uh, people can win a champ. People can be a champion, but organizations win championships. That it's the organization, and we should be bringing in HR wisdom, insight, analytics, not just about people, but yeah. about organizations and the systems we create. So you got a bucket of assumptions, a bucket of deliverables or outcomes around talent, leadership, and organization. You got a bucket of stuff around how do you run the HR department. And, and where I'm coming out more recently is you got to have role clarity. How do you manage your relationship? You have a relationship. I think sometimes in the HR governance issue, it's not about your center of expertise, you're the service center. You still got to have roles. You got to have experts. You got to have administrative stuff. You got to have integrators. But how do you have relationships? So bucket A is assumptions, bucket B is deliverables, bucket C is how we do HR within HR. And bucket D are some of the emerging tools. And this is where you are literally a thought leader. Tools around analytics. Let's not make decisions without data. Yeah. And let's make sure that the data is not just our data, but the business data. Let's use technology. Technology is changing the world. Let's use it in HR. Let's get the tools of our trade that enable us to do those things. So. I think in being a business partner, you got to change your assumption, your unconscious bias. You got to get outcomes around talent, leadership, organization. You got to get HR working within HR, and you got to get current in the tools. So, moving off the HR business partner role now to the CHRO. Now, obviously, it's a critical role. Uh, and how, how have you seen the changes in, in the responsibilities of, of that role as, as, as we move forward? Well, and I'd love to hear your views as well. But let me share some research we did out of data from Corn Ferry. Big search firm, they have tons of data about business leaders. They had, I think it was 15 dimensions or competencies of business leaders. And they profiled the top 20% in terms of success of CEOs. So here's the profile of a CEO in 15 dimensions. Then they did chief information officer, chief marketing officer, chief financial officer, and chief HR officer. Top 20% in terms of performance, which is a simple measure of compensation controlled yeah. for. And they said, here's the CEO, 15 competencies, here's the profile. Chief Marketing Officer, Chief Information Officer, Chief Financial Officer, Chief HR Officer, which one most matched the CEO? And it was Chief HR Officer. Right, okay. Which is really counterintuitive. You'd assume it's marketing or finance, IT you can get around. Here's what we found. Is the best, they, we found in their data, the best heads of HR had the same leadership profile as the best CEOs. Now, we published that. I found that fascinating. So what does that say about the chief HR officer? You're not here to do HR. No. You're here to help the no. business win. And you should have the skills of a CHRO. 
What we also found that we ended up not publishing is when you looked at the median, the average HR person, the average marketing, the average IT, they were the biggest gap against the CEO. What it says is at the top of our HR field, we have some exceptional folks. You've interviewed some, and, and you hate to share names because they may, they may rise and they may fall, but you've interviewed some of that top creme de la creme. I'm assuming you're finding they are phenomenal. Mm. They're thoughtful. They're good. You shared with me one that uh, she may become CEO. I don't want to go who she is, but, but these are great folks. The average HR person sometimes has a gap. Yeah. And part of our job, your job, my job, is to raise the tide to get the next generation better. That's a long answer, but that's some kind of interesting data about the CHRO. And it's good. And, and you're right. We don't want to necessarily call people out. But there are some inspirational CHROs out there, which I think oh. that can act as, you know, inspire the rest of the field, really, to, to really. Absolutely. Talking. Now, they're not going to be a CEO, in my view, unless they know finance and marketing mm -hmm. and business. Because you can't, if I'm an investor and they say, oh, this is a great interpersonal person, I'm going, yeah, I, I really like you and we'll go to dinner, but I'm not going to put my, my resources behind you. But when they know finance, when they know marketing, when they know how business operates, and they bring those profile skills that differentiate the good ones, I think we're going to see more of those HR folks in CEO positions. And I think we're also seeing more people coming into the CHRO role now who from outside. Yeah, um, we, we talked about another example who'd, who'd actually worked in the sales part of the business at one of the big, you know, big organizations. And there are other examples now. Um, I think the CHRO added us. She, she'd never worked in HR yep. before, but she yep. came into the CHRO yep. role and bringing in some of that that marketing part, which is obviously that focus yeah. on the customer. If you were that you coaching about. that new CHRO who doesn't have HR experience, what would your coaching be? Well, I think the business experience is probably more important. I think it's really critical. Because you've got Here's plenty my, of people in HR of HR experience. Well, and that's what I'd say to that new CHR it is. I'd say to her, you know, to be really good as a CHR, you've got to know business, which you know. But you've also got to know HR. Mm -hmm. There is a body of knowledge here. Go to compensation. Go to training. Go to staffing. Go to org design. And you've got to know change. I would advise her to say, surround yourself with some really bright HR experts really bright ones, who you can trust to say, boy, when we get into compensation decisions, there's, some, there's a body of knowledge. When we get into learning and training, there's a body of knowledge. Don't assume because you're the CHRO, you know that knowledge. Mm. So you got business expertise. Surround yourself with some really bright folks. And Adidas has done it. And well, I, the, I hate to start mentioning companies because the clients we all love, we didn't mention, they're going to be upset. But if you're our client, we love you and we're thinking of you right now. <laughs> um, but also change. So I think some of the companies or CHRs are saying, when I, when I populate my HR group, I got a third business, a third HR, and a third change. That's not a bad mnemonic to begin to play with. Mm. Well, and also, you, you can't be a great conductor unless you've got a great orchestra, can you say? That's a great line. That's a great line. That's a great line. By the way, if you bring in a head of HR who comes out of the HR legacy, you say to him or her, Get out to know the business. Do yep. what you just said. Yep. Go, go, go muse with your business leaders. Go spend time with customers and investors. Get on every investor call because you need you, you bring great HR wisdom, but you need to get great business depth. So for the next part of our discussion, we're going to dip into some of the articles that you've published recently on LinkedIn. And I know you publish an article every two weeks, so I do encourage people to to read them. Um, firstly, I want to focus on an article you published recently around digital HR. 
Um, firstly, how much of the stuff we hear around digital is hype and how much is reality? What would you say? What percent? I think there's a lot of hype. I think actually is reality and they, you know, we I think need to both. embrace it. I think there's both. And it's not because it's about HR. It's about the world we live in. Yes. I mean, for me, technology is a means to create digital information. And, and what digital information does, it allows us to make more informed decisions. Because if I haven't, my metaphor is if I have an analog watch, I can tell time. Yeah. But if I have a digital watch, suddenly that watch becomes a, a communication device for the world. It measures my health. It measures my, my intake. It measures my steps. It measures, it allows me access through email. The digital world just opens up a world of information that we never had before. And that's not going to change. No. And of course, it's not about putting digital processes or digital technology on analog processes. We no, need to that, that won't work. Use it as an opportunity to change our processes yeah. as well. Yeah. So you do a lot in the digital space. What's your greatest enthusiasm and greatest fear about digital HR? I think the best thing, the, the opportunity for me is that is we can actually give some of the data back to the people providing it to, nice. the, to the workers give them insights that can help them improve their well-being and their performance, their career. Nice. I think that is the biggest opportunity for me, as well as creating great business outcomes, of course, as well. I think the biggest fear is, is that the companies will misuse the data. Oh, um, that's interesting. And we'll start to see similar scandals in the, in the, in the workplace. Is that, that some of the privacy inside. issues? And... Yeah, I think it's more just people misusing the data. I think, I think as, as they said, there's that transparency and, we, and we're very clear with employees what data we're collecting, really why we're collecting it, what the benefit is to business and what the benefit is to them. And I think it's great. But if we don't have that open conversation, then I think we really could nice. get, get really into nice. some dark places. I, I, mean, I mean, I can see that. So in doing a 360, simple thing, we've all been involved. We don't want to know who filled that out. Because if I know that you filled a 360 out on me and I filled it out on you, we've got bad data. Yeah. And Josh Burson and others say, you got to start information with good data. Mm. And I think that's a really good insight. Yeah. We found as you look at digital, it has a business impact. And that's why it's not going to go away. Mm. Every industry I know is being shaped by digital information from automotive, obviously, the driverless car, to taxis, to lodging, to entertainment, to education. Everything is digitized. In the HR field, we sort of identified four phases of digital. Phase one is efficiency. Take your HR process and get it digitized. And, yeah. and you see that happening with the big players, the Workday, the SAP, the Oracle. Um, that's happening, and, and you see it everywhere. Phase two is innovation. I just had the privilege of seeing Josh Burson. I think he said there are 2,400 new innovative companies around people, performance, information, and work, doing all kinds of innovation. You must run into that all the time, the I latest and greatest. He actually manages to attract them all, though, which is yeah, amazing. I, I don't. I don't know how he does it. Have you ever yeah. seen any of those new apps that you just scratch your head and go, you got to be kidding me? <laughs> uh, but they're happening. There's yeah. just a plethora of innovation in apps. The one I joke about, I got asked, and you probably get asked to endorse, they said, we will take a picture of your face and based on your forehead, nose, eyes, we will tell you your leadership strengths. And I remember writing them back and I said, have you seen my face? Because <laughs> it's not going to be anyway. But there's uh, phase one is efficiency. Phase two is innovation. I think that's where 80 to 90% of HR digital is right now. Mm. And I think we need to move beyond it. Phase three for me is information. So how do we get more information out of this digital age about people and performance? IBM's done some great work on that. 
who's likely to leave. And, and some of those are simple processes, but how do we get a guidance system about what do we need in terms of talent, leadership, and organization to win in the marketplace? And we need that information. And that's not a simple app. Phase four is where I don't know where to go. It's the issue in the world with technology, the technology that should connect us often isolates us. Yeah. That the research shows among adolescents, teenagers, the more time they spend on Snapchat or Instagram or FaceTime, the more depressed they are, mm. the more isolated they feel, the more anxious they feel. There's someone I know who's really thoughtful and he has an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old. And when that eight-year-old and 10-year-old son and daughter start getting hooked on technology and spending more of their time on technology, they get distant from the world. And so I think one of the issues we've got to face in HR is how do we use this incredible technology that should be connecting us to not isolate us? So that's around the experience. But where I see the field right now is doing a lot around innovation and efficiency hopefully more coming around information and guidance around strategy and goals. And then I hope we're going to see more innovation in that connection experience space. And do you see that connectivity? Do you see that as HR's biggest challenge in, in embracing these new technologies? Or I, I see it as one of the biggest because I think technology that allows me to work from home, that allows me to... Uh, the first book I wrote, we dedicated to the Toshiba laptop computer without whom we could not have written the book because we wrote it while we were traveling on airplanes. You know, that's an isolating technology, working at home, working in my basement. I think we need to find a technology that connects us. Now, people have argued, Dave, that's because you're old. I'm next generation. I connect through technology. There's something to be said that you and I have connected through LinkedIn for 10 years. But there's something different when I meet you, when I see you, when I sense who you are as a person. And I think we shouldn't lose sight of that relationship piece. And I'm a huge introvert. I mean, it's hard for me when I'm done with the class, I go hide. And But there is something to be said for technology that connects us. And how do we use that to celebrate successes? Technology enables relationships. And boy, do I hope we can see more of that. And of course, another fallout from digital technologies is this whole challenge around skills. And you wrote a really good article recently, again, about you, you talked about a shift from workforce to work task planning. Can you just describe that to listeners? It is such a simple idea that's already happening. All I did is create a word that goes with it. When you go to a grocery store, they used to have, you'd always go through the checkout lane and, and, the, and the checker would take your thing and swipe it. And there's any time a job is about transferring information from your product in your basket to the, to the payment that job's gonna be done through technology. Mm -hmm. So I'm assuming in the store where you shop today, a lot of it you can swipe yourself. Yep. What we need then is less a focus on the workforce and the tasks that need to be done. And so we've worked with a quick service restaurant who says we have 25 employees in our restaurant. A lot of the restaurant job is information-based, digital-based. We don't need people to do that. Mm -hmm. And so we're gonna have restaurants with 15 people and their job is to do the relationship. And I think we're seeing that in a lot of industries, we see it in hotels, check in yourself. We see it in restaurants, place your own order. And that's the task. And so HR has been excited about the workforce, full-time, part-time, gig economy, contract. Yes, 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 yes. And add another dimension, our robots. Is our automation going to be able to do some of those tasks? I don't think it can do what we're doing here mm. because no. we're, we're building relationships and, and we're working. Anytime the task is about information sharing, there's a chance that's going to be done through technology.
So it's kind of that shift from focusing on jobs to focusing on skills. Absolutely. And what work needs to be done, and then how can it best be done? How can it best be done? Yeah. And and it's interesting. I was in a company that does a lot of manufacturing. They said, we're going to move to robots. We know it's coming. Right now, robots are a bit expensive. And we know that robots are going to bring our cost of operations down, and people are going to stay high. Somewhere we're going to make that cross. Right now, it's cheaper to have people, labor market, workforce, than it is to have robots. As the cost of robots comes down with technology and digitization, that cost is going to come down. People cost, we're going to cross that line. And you look out, I think we'll see that in almost every industry. And it's going to be interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, if we go back in history, which is normally a good predictor of the future, every industrial revolution, yes, jobs were replaced, but new jobs were created. In fact, I, what do you think? Do you think there'll be more jobs or fewer jobs? I think there may be more. Yeah, but I'm an optimist. Be, I am too. So. But they're going to be different. Mm. And then it becomes an interesting collaboration between government, education, industry, who's going to take the stewardship to give those employees who are being displaced? If your job is transferring information from A to B, I hate to say it, it, it you may be replaced. Mm. So someone's going to have to help reskill you. And, and you're going to own it. I, I believe in personal accountability. But is it the company? Is it the government? Is it the education? Is it labor? Somebody's going to have to help those people because I think there are going to be more jobs, not fewer. Yeah. We saw some work on... Uh, robotics and, and artificial intelligence, and it said the human brain has 100 trillion synapses. The latest robots can do a billion. And between a billion and a hundred trillion is a way before the robot will replace humans. But that billion, for example, in our HR area, we have a thousand people apply for a job. We can match our skill requirements with their Facebook, with their email, with all of their data, their resume. And we can go from 1,000 down to 100. Then we can do a second level of analysis and get from 100 to 10. That's robots. Okay. But to get to 10 to the three we hire requires a sense of human touch. Mm -hmm. That's the billion to 100 trillion synapses. I think that's really a great example. Well, you wouldn't expect me to be doing a discussion without talking about people analytics. So we are going to talk about people analytics now. And again, it's a recent article. I think it's some research you did about over a year ago now. You did some analytics on, on people's analytics, and you found some interesting findings. It shocked us. This is why I think analytics are so helpful, because you find insights that you didn't expect. So we, here's the study we did. We went to about, um, uh, i got to remember, about 4,000 HR professionals, and we had a 360. So we had data from about 30,000 people. And we said, to what extent do you know how to do people analytics? And we rated them on about six dimensions. Then we took that result, again, for 4,000 people from 26,000 raters, and we correlated it with business outcomes. So we had an indicator of business outcomes for the business you're in. We would assume, wow, those who know analytics have great business impact. Of the eight competence domain, of the nine competence domains, it was the eighth in impact. It had almost no impact. By the way, that set me back mm -hmm. because I thought... <laughs> Everybody loves information, and we've got, to, we've got to use the information and insights to do predictive analytics. But our data showed, and you can't walk away from, I mean, you can walk away from three pieces of data, but not 30,000, yeah. that when HR people did people analytics, they got in trouble. Here was our takeaway. It'd be fun to get your take. HR analytics should not be about HR. That the baseline of, I did a book called the, H, I co-authored a book called the HR Scorecard about 20 years ago, 15, 20 years ago. Today, I should be shot because it's not about an HR scorecard. 
And what we found is when you looked at information and HR people who know, quote, people analytics, the HR pieces of that, it doesn't drive business results. But when you look at information that connects the marketplace to the company, Mm. It had the single biggest predictor of business results as an organizational capability. We called it external sensing. And Wayne Brockbank is the thought leader. He said, when HR can create external sensing that looks at market opportunities from customers and investors, bring that into the company. That's the biggest driver of organization that creates business results. So we did an article, tongue-in-cheek, with Thomas Rasmussen, who's brilliant. Great, awesome. The analytics on analytics are not very positive. And everybody, oh, I'm mad. And then we said, but be careful. When you link analytics to the business, it has huge impact. I'll give an example, and I get in trouble for this. There's a big movement in our field with with the movement of names and ideas and shiny objects. Employee experience. Employee experience. My take is employee experience is not the issue. It's how does employee experience correlate with customer experience. And what I'm not as interested in is what drives employee experience, I'm interested in what drives that causation and correlation. So what's your take? Where is analytics going to have the most impact in the people organization space? Well, again, I think it's focusing on the business, you know, and I think the article that you wrote with with Thomas Rasmussen, I I think it was something titled In Danger of Being a Fad. And then you outlined some specific examples that Thomas had worked on, I think, at Merck and at Shell, of how they had actually tied it to the business. They correlated engagement with performance, with safety on oil rigs, for example. You know, big, big things for for a company like Merck and for Shell. Um, so yeah, I, I and I, I I think you're right. I, I like that you know the employee experience. There's lots of talk about that. But what are the elements of employee experience that that drive customer experience and that, or investor uh, or, confidence or investor confidence? Yeah. I mean, I was in a workshop today and said, how many of you are working to get measures of employee experience? Oh, everybody is. I mean, some legacy engagement measures, productivity, etc. How many of you are attending investor calls and sharing that data? Mm. Almost no one. Yeah. To me, that's the, that's what makes HR so cool, is that I believe in employee experience. I'm in HR because I really do believe that organizations are the greatest setting in the world to help people fulfill their potential. I believe that in my gut, personally and visually. But to sustain that agenda, it can't just be a social agenda. That's where your analytics work and others mm-hmm. is. If you get better employee experience and the investor gives you a 10% premium, and your stock value is worth 10 billion pounds, dollars, 10% is a billion dollars, billion pounds. That argument is really compelling, and it creates then a virtuous cycle. We're not doing employee experience to make employees happy and delighted and bring a pet to work. We're doing it so that our investors can give us a premium, Mm. and the company will win. And then we can do some incredible things with our employees. And that virtuous cycle is the one that really excites me. It's the employee indices, whatever they are, experience, engagement, commitment, can correlate with the customer indices. And we've studied that. We've seen it. And so when I sit down in HR with a business leader, I'm not saying, let's go build the employee experience. I start by saying, what would happen in this company if our customer experience went up 10%? Wow. They'd buy more products. They'd buy more services. Our stock price would go up. Our cost of capital debt would go down. I have a way to get you that. Really? Yeah. And it's not going to cost you a ton of money because much of employee experience is not compensation. Yeah. It's opportunity, it's belief, it's impact, it's how we frame our story. I think that's where HR needs to begin yeah. to head. 
Is there any other research that you've been involved in recently that you'd like to share with, with listeners? One of the problems is I love research because I love data. My PhD is in statistics. That's, that's, I love data. Analytics is not new to good yeah. HR. Um, and I'm going to ask you the same question, by the way. I continue to look at where does HR add value? So I see investors looking at HR in a more rigorous way. So we've created a leadership capital index. It's like there, there's a Moody's index about an investor valuing a company because they're, they're, they're confident in their financial return. I want investors to value a company because of their confidence in the quality of leadership. So we're exploring that. We're trying to create a, a sense, what is it that this employee experience or connection is about? We're doing research on three things, believe, become, and belong. We did a book called The Why of Work, which had seven things. I think those three, does my company help believe become? We're doing research on that. But all of it is around creating organizations that win over time so that the employee experience becomes a virtuous cycle of helping the company win and the employee have a better experience. What are you doing? What are some new things for you? Well, you won't surprise to know it's around the analytics space. So, um, so Jonathan Farrar and I created a, a model, funny enough, nine dimensions uh, of excellence in people analytics. And as part of that, we created a short survey, seven, seven questions, seven critical success factors. And what I'm finding is that most people that respond to it, they score very lowly, lowly around ROI. So actually, oh, we, we determine the, the, the ROI of our analytics projects. You know, and the average score is around, I don't know, two and a half or three out of five. Maybe it's quite simple. Maybe at the outset of an analytics project, maybe actually sit down with finance and, and actually work out how you're going to Great. calculate what the return on investment is going to be from that. Great I mean, idea. It's quite simple. And, and, and this is the whole thing that maybe HR isn't, hasn't been so good at doing is quantifying its impact. You need to be able to quantify your impact. It's not always about ROI. Of course, there are other measures that you can do that. But that is one measure. Well, it ultimately has to come into a finance statement, either top line or bottom line. It has to come into a market segment. The customer buys more or less or has a higher net promoter score. And when you can build the linkages to those outcomes, for example, one of the things we've done with ROI, we've called it the right ROI is return on intangibles. Because when you go outside the company and look at shareholders, an increasing percent of shareholder investor value in a company is not the financial numbers. Mm. Amazon gets a premium, the most valuable firm in the world, not just because they're cash, but because they're intangibles. And the big intangible is people, of organization, yeah. and leadership. Mm. The investors look at Amazon and say, Bezos is a great individual leader, and he is creating leadership and a culture that will outlive him, and we're going to bet on that premium. Mm. Boy, so that ROI... Is, and that's kind of the leadership capital logic, that we want to create those ROIs, investment, return on investment, or return on intangibles, that really drive sustainable organizations, because then they can do great things for their people. I'm now going to ask you the question that we ask all our guests on the Digital HR Leaders podcast, which is, what will the role of HR be in 2025? Mm. I mean, our 97 book that I said we've moved beyond, the principles are the same. HR in 2025 has got to add value. Yeah, of course. Yeah. That's a principle. It's got to deliver talent, leadership, and organization. I mean, those are the levers that we're going to use to add value. What's going to change? I'm not exactly sure. I think, I think technology is going to replace some things I'm pretty sure about. I think we used to, we, over the last 20 years, we outsourced the administrative work to the big outsource providers in different parts of the world. I think through technology, that's going to come back in. We don't need to outsource. We can insource. Uh, some of the big outsource providers in India are shrinking because the technology brings it in. I think we're going to see HR an increasingly 
differentiator at the business because of their talent, leadership, and organization skills. I don't know how HR will be structured. And I think we're going to find that those intangible relationships really do count inside an HR group. What would you say? Yeah, I agree that clearly there are elements of HR that are going to be automated. Probably the more repetitive, boring work. And does that perhaps our HR to be have even more impact by focusing on the on the stuff that's really important? But again, it, it's tied to all the stuff that we've been talking about, isn't it? It's, it's, so are you net an optimist or a pessimist? About I'm, I'm, again, I'm an optimist. I think, you know... Why? Maybe because I'm just always an optimist. I don't know. I know. I think I, I see us. I see lots to be positive about with HR. I think we're getting some really great leaders coming into the space. I think analytics is helping drive it forward, and I think hopefully that we'll harness this digital technology to our advantage, yeah. um, and yes, create business value out of it, but also drive customer experience through driving employee experience. So for me, I care about people. I got into the field because organizations don't think people think. And that was the, my mentor drove that into me. I honestly care that people have well-being, that they have a sense of personal belonging belief. I think organizations today are the setting to get it. We get it in families. There's no question. Um, we may get it in neighborhoods or social groups or experiences. We may get it through religious groups. But we spend a lot of time in the organizations where we live and work. Mm. I mean, and it could be a small organization. You could be starting up a small group with you and your partners. And you're a team and you find a connection there. It could be a big organization with hundreds of thousands of people. If we can create organizations that give people that experience that then virtually connects with winning in the marketplace and investors, I think we create a place where, and this is a little naive and it's a little utopian, where people have a better life experience and it changes what happens at home. It changes what happens in, in other parts of our lives. And that's, people say, why do you stay in HR? And it's not because of what's wrong. It's because of what's right. I mean, yeah. finance tracks what's happened. HR creates what can be. And I still have that naive hope that we can create these organizational settings that have worked for me. So I assume you're leading one right now with your partner. You, you have relationships that work, that, that give you a sense of meaning, a sense of fulfillment. I hope we can create that in companies. That's a wonderfully positive way to end our discussion. Thank you. Dave, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. How can people stay in touch with you? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I try to post. A, there's a lot of posts. I don't know how often. I post almost every day, but I post a new article every Tuesday. Yep. Um, one is short, 100 words, 150 words, and one is 1,000 words. So every Tuesday I post an article. I've done that for a year and a half. I enjoy that because it's an outlet for ideas. Uh, that may be the best space. Or email. I'm, I'm maybe old-fashioned. Uh, you can find my email. It's dou at umich edu. Well, Dave, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you guys you. are great. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. You can subscribe via iTunes or your podcast app of choice. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show on iTunes and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make this podcast. If you haven't already, do check out myhrfuture.com for the latest news and exclusive training content to prepare you for the future of HR. And you can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter there too. That's all for this week, but please make sure you tune in next week when we'll be speaking to Ian O'Keefe on the workforce analytics journey at JP Morgan Chase. Don't miss that one. See you next time.